Hello and welcome to episode 100 of the Science of Sport podcast. I'm your host Matt Solomon and today I want to give you a massive thank you for making it this far. Thank you for all of the listens, all of the downloads, all of the shares on social media and of course thank you to all of our fantastic guests who supported us this far. Of course we want to make sure that we keep bringing the best possible guests and content so if you have any suggestions, please do reach out to us and we'll do our best to get those guests on. I personally hope that you've really enjoyed it until now. And of course, I hope you're going to enjoy today's episode too with the absolutely fantastic Dave Tenney. And Dave, of course, has a fantastic CV in the world of sport performance. He's currently the director of high performance at Austin FC. Prior to that, he worked at the Orlando Magic as high performance director and he has extensive experience through the football world And of course, he worked in various roles at Seattle Sounders from 2009 to 2017. So without further ado, it's time to welcome Dave onto the show. So Dave, welcome to the Science of Sport podcast. It is an absolute pleasure to have you here. Thank you. It's a a pleasure to be on. Thank you very much for joining us. So we're at episode 100. And of course, uh, we wanted to get the the biggest name possible on the on the podcast today, and uh, Dave Tenney is a, a very very big name. So, Dave, can you give us a background, just uh, a bit of background as to who you are and what you've been up to until now? Uh, yeah. <laughs> First, I, 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 it's flattering. I don't know if I'm a big name or not, but it's uh it's an honor to be the hundredth guest on the uh, podcast. So, um, I do appreciate that. Um, yeah. Um, I am currently the high performance director for. Austin FC and um, came here. We're, we're about to start our second season here in about 10 days time um, in MLS. Uh, previously, I uh, did three years with the Orlando Magic in the same role as high performance director. And that came on the back of being in, you know, with the Seattle Sounders in various roles, really just kind of evolving, you know, from leadership perspective over nine years time. Um, from 2009 to 2017, you had nine seasons in uh, Seattle Sounders with Major League Soccer and, you know, started in the league in Kansas City before that. Um, so um, background really started as a player, um, a very, very average, dead average uh, professional career, I'd say. Um, but uh, went back to school as soon as I finished, did an um, undergrad in coaching science and then, you know, master's in exercise science and, you know, that was you know as as the sports science world was taking off you know in the in the mid 2000s and um you know did did some time at the university of george mason and then you know went to kansas city from there so you know in a nutshell i guess that's my background so it's a lot of experience a lot of interesting places that you've been and seen as well um but when we're looking specifically at your position at austin um that club started pretty much from nothing recently is that correct Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, as an expansion team and, and that, that is major league soccer. I think one of the things that's piqued a lot of people's interest in major league soccer is that you have these um, really um, well-resourced clubs basically starting from scratch. And so, you know, it gives, it gives a practitioner the, the opportunity to come in, you know, kind of the ground floor as, as you're actually building an organization and it really help guide the organization from the high performance side and in, in the direct direction you'd like it to go, you know, which is what happened in this case. Um, I was hired, you know, roughly seven months prior to the actual season starting, which, you know, gave me time to 
you know, really be strategic in hiring staff and helping to build a training facility and, um, you know, really getting bedded in with the coaches and really getting to know them and their philosophy as we you know, kind of started this this project. And that's uh, two really interesting points, and we'll touch on both of them later. Um, but then what, what existed when you got there, right? Cause, um, in, in my head, I imagine there's, uh, there's just a piece of floor where a stadium would be and a gym might go. So what already existed and what did you need to create when you came into that role? Yeah. I mean, one of the exciting things was nothing existed. I mean, <laughs> you know, for all intents and purposes, there was, as I got there, they were just kind of breaking ground on the training you know, on the training ground, we had the opportunity to quickly, you know, kind of get with the architects and, you know, get some, some pieces, you know, within that training facility that we wanted. Um, but, but literally when we started day one of preseason, you know, the stadium was not done. Um, we, we were actually working out of the, the hotel that we utilize for away teams and Fairmont hotel. We took over the third and fourth floors and, you know, turned one of the the conference rooms into a gym during preseason last year. Um, you know, our, we, there's the, there's an executive suite, you know, for the hotel that we turned into our, our, uh, club offices for that time. So, I mean, literally we built it from scratch and worked out of a hotel for about the first two months of the preseason, the beginning of the season played, uh, nine of the first 10 games on the road while they're finishing the stadium. And then you know, got got into our training facility, you know, a little bit after the uh, the season was starting. So it was, um, again, a lot of challenges in year one around that. But you know, but the exciting thing is, you know, you are literally building this whole thing from scratch. So. And that's uh, that's something that is it's super interesting to touch on because it doesn't happen very often when you get that completely clean slate and you can be, begin with absolutely zero. And in your case, you've got all of the the possibilities potentially in the world. Um, but then when you, when you have that clean slate and you, you've not really got a structure to, to already build on, how do you then start to design a structure in an organization? Because yeah, then you've got to do that in seven months and all of a sudden there's a season. So how do you start to design that structure? I mean, you, you really have to think about which, you know, what the organizational needs are. I mean, going into that experience, you know, I guess, some of the context behind all of this, you know, I, I did go through a similar situation in, in Seattle. And so I went into Seattle Sounders in 2009 in a really similar um, state where they're an expansion team. They were building out a bit of a training facility, not, not the full build like we're doing here. It was kind of as a, as a part of a youth soccer complex. Um, but having gone through that, you know, and then seeing what, what the needs were, um, what what could be done, um, what was missing um, in Seattle uh, when when I went in there, and um, you know, and and then obviously just experiences we you pick up over time in terms of okay, what what should a gym look like? What should a recovery space look like? How do we want to utilize recovery? You know, what other supplemental pieces you know do we want to have in there? And 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 then we really as we were going through the process would, you know, kind of lean on, you know, luckily we've got a network of people through MLS that we know really well and really think about, you know, have to having talks with, with the newer training facilities and the people working out of them. What do the players prefer? Right. Cause I think from a recovery standpoint in particular, um, there's, 
so many different modalities that you could go with. And, you know, and ultimately sometimes I think it's, it's determining what the players will use the most, you know, rather than always, um, trying to lead, read the latest research paper and, you know, think, okay, people looks like this is, you know, something in research. Let's, let's buy this. Mm -hmm. Um, whereas if the athletes are not going to use it, then it's, you know, it's investment, not well spent. So it's that mixture of, from a science perspective, what, you know, what appears to be useful. And then from a player compliance, player buy-in perspective, what will athletes actually use? So, and when you when you're designing those kind of facilities, um, you I imagine like gym recovery that was all something you could have a say in. Um, yep. Yeah. How how did you then go about moving from a place where there was literally nothing to being like, okay, I'm going to put a rack in that corner. I'm going to put a, a bike over here. Um, are there people that came in to consult on that companies, or did you put that all together yourself? I think the interesting thing is it's funny again each each league is its own ecosystem in a lot of ways and so you know at the same time you know the Orlando Magic is in the process of building their training facility and I was you know kind of part of the early discussions with their architects there and you know they had used uh you know an architect and planner that had you know created facilities for other NBA teams then you know go to Austin FC and they're utilizing you know they did utilize you know an architect that had built training facilities for multiple other MLS teams. And so, you know, there is, I think clubs get, get comfortable of utilizing architects or, you know, or, or builders, you know, of, of all types that um, have done this work in this league and know what the needs of the league are specifically. Right. So, so it's not as if it's a totally clean slate. Oftentimes you're looking at, you know, what the other, clubs in your league have done and, and what the space spaces look like. And, and then ultimately it's ownership is willing to invest in a building that's typically X size. And then, you know, it's really about getting organizational buy-in of, okay, gym space is important or recovery space is important or the medical spaces are really important. And how important are they relative to dining areas and meeting spaces? And, you know, cause ultimately the footprint is only so big. And so I, I do think there's almost like this negotiation and, you know, and again, it really shows from, you know, from the ownership side, what is that investment into high performance? And, um, you know, and, and, and then, then there's the whole layer of typically almost all of these buildings, whether it's the NBA or MLS or whatever are, are partnerships with your medical providers as well. And so but there are certain spaces within those facilities that, you know, the medical providers have, have, mandated that you know must must be you know um something to satisfy the contracts that you know we have with them so so those are all like the different you know pieces you really need to take into consideration as you're creating these spaces and it's a, a really interesting insight and when you look back at that whole process would you would you change anything now is there anything that you think uh when you're looking at those spaces and those facilities that you think you know what I would have done that differently, or I would really love um, this piece of equipment instead. I think you always want more space, right? I, I think, you know, if, if you were to ask anyone that um, builds, you know, is a part of this process of, of building out a training facility, ultimately, you know, typically you come back and you say, ah, I just wish this space was a little bit bigger. Um, I think in our, in our case, um, you know, you always go into a space like Austin and, you know, Texas and the, the summers are 
brutal in many levels and just the heat right the the heat that happens early and um you know i I think it's interesting because most most almost nfl team in any market but in particular nfl teams in really cold weather markets or really warm weather markets have some sort of indoor training facility right and and i think that's still not a norm in mls um but i do think down the road you're you know you're very very top clubs you know in any type of type of field sports you know in in you know in the u.s they should really strongly consider having these indoor um fields that you know that have air conditioning that can shield you know athletes from the sun um and and it's not again it's not the norm anomalous at all but but i do think that it it should be right and that's something i think that the first go round, you know we didn't really think about um because it, it because teams in mls are not doing that um you know it, at least maybe potentially building out some sort of indoor warm-up space a 30 by 30 meter you know indoor warm-up space um because again i mean I, I think we found you know that uh, the temperature increases so quickly here you know in in that july august september uh, time period that you know having as much covered space as possible you know, has ended up being a premium in, in, in Austin. I can, uh, I can certainly attest to that. Having worked with, uh, with footballers in Dubai as well, we were out on the pitch in 45 degree heat and uh, just around the corner and the, on, the, on the facility, there was uh, basically a blow up tent, which is all air conditioned. And uh, yeah, we had to have some serious conversations as to why we weren't in there all the time. But yeah, um, yeah that, that kind of very simple solution, it might be, uh, it might cost a lot of money, of course, but it's a, it's a relatively simple solution can mean a lot for the team in terms of the, the training intensity and the, the hours that they can put in. Yeah. 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 And, and, you know, and then going back again, gym space i mean i think typically you're talking about turfed areas and gym spaces to be able to do different things and to be able to do any sort of warm-up activities you know speed work sled pushes you know anything like that that has value um and again being able to keep that in a climate controlled space i think is is always something in really warm you know warm temperature climates that uh, and sadly with with climate change i think that's only going to be more important so yeah, I can imagine. Uh, also, also uh, the reverse is, is probably also true with uh, very cold climates, which could get yep. even colder um, yep. and even icier. Yeah, then having a nice indoor uh, semi-heated facility is certainly not a bad decision. Yeah. Um, and in terms of then, you've got your you've got your facilities, um, and you need to build a staff. And you mentioned it earlier. Um, how do you then go about hiring your staff members? Because there's a hundred thousand different reasons you might hire someone, but what are the key things for you, which you need when you're hiring uh, a high performance individual? I would say, <clears throat> I don't think you ever hire a high performance individual, you know, in, in, in a vacuum, right? I think you're, you're trying to put together a, a team. And so you're always trying to think of, how would a certain group of individuals really work together? Um, what are their skill sets like? I think it's important. I mean, as, as I've kind of gone through my career, you know, I, I think you're always trying to look at this balance between really clearly defining people's roles and making sure as you hire someone that they know what those roles and expectations are, as well as then on the flip side, you know, kind of creating a space for autonomy. Cause I think, you know, give, giving people, you know, 
autonomy and space to explore, um, that's where the innovation is as well, right? So you're always trying to balance those two of, of creating structure, creating um, clearly defined roles for each individual, but also letting them know what spaces that they are going to have autonomy in. And then making sure that, you know, you're hiring a staff where they're not stepping on people's toes as, as they're trying to go through that process. So I think that's, to, to me, that's, that's the really challenging part. You know, I think each league has its own contextual complexity, I guess is the best way to say it, um, in terms of how, how you interact with the players and how you interact with the coaches and, and how people, how the athletes um, approach strength training, conditioning, um, nutrition. And that really affects, I think, also the type of people that you want to bring in the room. Um, and, and then I think there's the whole data piece as well. You know, the data analytics side also fits under, you know, my, my team here as well. And you really have to make a decision on you know, what your, what your data structure looks like, what type of person you want managing that, how that person interacts with the rest of your staff. You know, so I think those are all you know, really key considerations, you know, as you're trying to put this group of people together, I do think there's probably a you know a, a critical mass of of people you you probably need to hire that do know the league and know the types of athletes that are in the league. I think that's that's really important. Um, and then I think you've got to make sure that that you're you're hiring a, a set of people that complement each other, right? That they understand what the other people's strengths are in your group. You know, so I think that's, you know, there's a lot of complexity there as, as you're hiring this team, but I would say those are all a lot of the considerations as you're going through. I think that's a, a super interesting insight. And what then do you think is important as uh, as characteristics of those people? Because having those roles is also, of course, a superior importance for the organization. But then yeah. what do you look for in a person when you're, when you're going to bring them on board? I think there has to be a level of, you, you want, you want people that are adaptable, right? I, I think, you know, one, you'd like to have as many people in your staff, as I said, that have experience in the league, but two, also with the understanding that these leagues change, you know, I mean, MLS is not, you know, with, with the investment that's come in and, and the, the growth of the league and now, you know, it's, it's 28 teams this year. It's not the same league as it was a decade ago. So you want people that are still adaptable and they're, they're willing to evolve. Um, you, you want people that, have an have an openness um, the want to still continue to learn and really want to explore things yeah you know, again i think i think what one again one of the interesting things if you really look at always you know um uh things as spectrums right uh, there's this there's this kind of organizationally and with a team you can be on more you are you are really structured hierarchical side of, of the spectrum and then on the other side you can have this really kind of agile startup type side right and it's interesting you know in in seattle as i was hiring the staff back you know 10 12 years ago we're in seattle right where where it's a you know tech one of the tech hubs of of, of the u.s and and we operate like a startup and we would hire a couple people and then saw what our needs are and hire that next person that you know we thought where there was a gap and we grow and we evolve together and, um, and, you know, and, and it was this kind of, there was a, it was really, really organic, right? We just kind of added pieces to the puzzle as we kind of grew the staff out. Um, and, and it was not, it was not necessarily intentional at that time. And then you come into Austin, now you have to hire a, you know, a staff from scratch and 
you don't necessarily want to lose the the feel of the, you know the startup feel where you have this kind of organic process where you're evolving, exploring. Because again, I think you know the thing about this entre- entrepreneurial spirit, like that's where that's where the innovation is. Right, you want to be innovative, but you have to get the right people in the room to do that. Which means they can, you know, they've got to be super smart, adaptable, have really clear ideas of what of what they think how they think sh- things should be done, but have an, you know, an openness to learn from others and, and want to be part of a team. Um, Cause again, I think you're trying to create this environment where you can challenge each other. You can talk about ideas. People don't t- take things personally. Um, and, you know, and, and you're willing to you know try new ideas as, as different things, you know, kind of pop up, you know, that, that we all read about. So. I think that's a fantastic insight into into what's necessary and also necessary to make it in uh, in elite sport as well. So that's a that's a really interesting one, especially for younger coaches to look at and think, okay, what can I do uh, in the future to make sure that I can be employed at organizations like this? Yeah, and, and well, I guess also you know just just to kind of jump into you know as I'm thinking through this, I think we're also really again each league is different, and I think you know you've you've heard you know different you know, really experienced high professional or high performance people talk about, you know, this generalist versus specialist type concept. And, and in some leagues, you know, I'd say probably your top premier league clubs and your top uh, NBA clubs, you're hiring specialists, right? You're hiring a series of specialists for various topics, right? Whether it's a, you know, a, a data scientist versus a sports scientist versus a database management person versus a uh, rehab coach versus a strength coach, et cetera. Right. Um, and then there's others. If you're at a championship club in England or you're at a um, certain level MLS clubs, you are hiring people that are really good generalists, right? That they can do, they can do sports science. They can work in the gym. They have a knowledge base about nutrition and they can tick multiple boxes. Right. So I think, Again, as as you go into different organizations, you really have to think about like, okay, do I need to hire a specialist or am I hiring a series of generalists? And I think that's a really, really important you know consideration as well. And it's uh, has interesting implications for people who want to do different things in their careers as well, right? So yeah, yeah. Um, it's uh, it's very difficult to become an expert in something, but it's very difficult to become a a generalist in a lot of things as well because it requires just a huge uh, knowledge base so that has uh, that's some serious and seriously interesting implications for people looking to define their career and uh, and where they're going to take that yeah. um but on the side of uh, of staff members of course um we we want to look at how pretty much anyone can implement some of these ideas right so if you're taking uh, the MLS team with some money, that's, that's fine. But what about a team which has limited budget? Uh, what are the things that you think that any team at any level can implement to make sure that they're getting some high performance benefit out of their investment? Are you, you mean from a staffing perspective or? Uh, from a staff perspective, but also from the structures, the equipment, uh, anything that you think um, is relatively low cost which yep. most teams can implement regardless of their budget. Yeah. Well, I, I, and and this is for soccer slash football or? Yeah, I, it, it could be applicable to other things, but uh, yeah. seeing as we're on the topic. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I, I think um, particularly w- within our sport, um, 
strength training is obviously an area that's it's funny it, it's still highly debated isn't it you know and in terms of the the value of strength training and how much coaches prioritize it and um having again i think having spaces to do strength training slash activation slash you know speed agility um you know i think we're talking about and again i think you know from your perspective, are we talking about types types of activities? We're we talking about infrastructure. Are we talking about personnel? Um, you know, I think that a lot of organizations have infrastructure issues because they're not prioritizing, let's say, space for something like strength training. And and I and I also think that's where some of the top where where things can also be really well done is where you do have some infrastructure challenges and you know you've seen organizations where you know they're the high performance staff creates a gym under the stadium right and um and, and it's really kind of innovative in how how they're using you know different different spaces right so um what i would say is i think you know we've got a you know whatever it turned out to be a you know 40 million dollar training facility in austin but that's a that is a privilege, right? Most most high performance practitioners go into existing clubs that may not have prioritized something like strength training or not have prioritized something like recovery spaces. And you know, then it's up to each practitioner, I think, to figure out how they can best be innovative in, in the spaces that they have. You know, and and I think, you know, ultimately I think all of this does come down to um having management slash ownership um, invested in what you're trying to do, right? Like I think um, <clears throat> there's lots of creative creativity that can happen, but you do need your, your, the people above you to be very supportive of, of your approach. And then you, they do give you the green light to find creative solutions. Um, you know, I, don't, I don't know if that, that really answers your, your question, but I think it's, um, I think so. That's excellent advice. There's definitely thing, you know, the, the concepts of you know managing your staff and and you know and managing your athletes. But I but I also think that a critical piece to being innovative about what the needs of your athletes are can can come from managing up to the people above you and making sure they're they're on board. And you know, I mean, let's be realistic. If you have a head coach that just does not believe in strength training, then it really doesn't matter what you're doing. Is it? <laughs> No, absolutely. But uh, if you have an organization which you can convince to uh, put some basic gym equipment in, yeah. then uh, maybe it can make a bit of a difference to to those who do think it's important. Yeah, and I would say, I guess, on, on you know, again, I think with the the number of games that are happening, it, it seems you know what I would say is on the recovery side, you know, that just probably the area where I see the most innovation happening by practitioners, and that sometimes comes because I'm not sure, you know. Most people above us focus on the work being performed, and I think oftentimes they're not really focusing on on the recovery side. Um, that a lot of the innovation I see is how teams are using, you know, kind of um, <clears throat> infrastructure to create recovery spaces, and you know, how do they get their athletes to recover between games? Because that is such a critical piece that I think is really easily missed um, as as we get in the season, going from game to game. And that makes a lot of sense as well because yeah the uh, the hours that 
practitioners don't see athletes are the ones that they can't control, of course. So making sure that there's um, appropriate conditions to sleep in and they get enough sleep and they're eating yeah. properly at home. Um, yeah, I think that can be taken for granted sometimes, whereas, uh, yeah, maybe more education is sometimes needed or uh, people in and around them giving them the the appropriate advice. Yeah, yeah. And access, I think, you know, nutrition is, I mean, obviously when people talk about recovery, it's always, you know, nutrition, sleep are one and two. And um, are we able to provide access you know, of our athletes to to the nutrition, to the nutrition they want as well, nutrition education that, that helps them the most. So, um, yeah, I, I would say that's probably the most under-resourced, you know, I think uh, nutrition in a lot of places as well as, uh, you know, as a part of recoveries. It's a, a really interesting insight. And one insight that I'd like to get from you before we uh, finish up today is the, the differences in the settings that you've worked in. So what are the, what are the different challenges between uh, things like uh, elite football in this case, but also in, in basketball and university settings? How, how does that differ between the settings and what are the key challenges for you there? I think the scope of things is, is different in each setting, you know, and, and I think, um, you know, as I've kind of gone through my, my career, you know, I do think that it's, uh, <clears throat> you look at each different setting as kind of its own ecosystem, right? And there's this ecosystem of the people, you know, you're, you're basically, you know, my, in my role, it's how we're building out, you know, the ecosystem around our, our athletes. And, and each one is just uniquely different. And I was describing, you know, kind of the the ecosystem of of the startup in Seattle, where you know we had really really supportive ownership and management. We start off with a really small staff, and we grew everything. And you know, in in, in that period, you know, ownership really they never said no to a single thing that we asked. You know, in my in my nine years there, um, and and we grew something small to something that was probably medium-sized and, you know, and the Sounders have continued to do, you know, just a great job and be, you know, one of the flagship organizations in MLS now. Um, but it, but it came from, you know, being probably under-resourced when we started, um, you know, and, and I remember some of the challenges we had, we had, you know, a player like Freddie Lundberg, you know, come over and join us in 2009 and, you know, walked into the, you know, the medical room and expected to see, six physios there ready to work on every player. And we had two, right. <laughs> um, you know, we, he was injured and we sent him up to the gym and you know, well, there, well, there was only two of us on the performance side. So one guy had to miss practice to take Freddie to the gym. And, you know, and that was 2009. And now that, you know, that, that doesn't happen anymore. And, you know, in MLS. Um, so, and part of that is ownership is seeing, you know, the need to support athletes better, you know, and, and then, the, and then you go in to the, the ecosystem of the NBA and you've got every athlete has almost, you know, their, their own assigned strength coach, their own assigned physical therapist, um, their own assistant coach that's assigned to them for the entire year. And, um, you know, they've got this little team around them and then they've got all the external people that an NBA player may actually utilize, whether it's a, you know, osteopath from Europe or, you know, their own uh, personal chef and their own personal psychologist. And we have to manage, you know, kind of influence that that ecosystem as much as possible to make sure athletes are getting what they're doing, you know, what, what they need. And one of the, you know, high performance director roles in the NBA is you talk to agents a lot. You're always talking to agents. Um, and so you're trying to help 
manage the ecosystem you know around the player by talking to the agent to make sure on the external provider side that 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 athlete is also getting what they need and so um it's a you know in the nba typically the people in our roles it's a totally non-practicing role that's strategic and it's really strategic around building the ecosystem around all these athletes and you know now coming in into austin and and you know um this role is highly built around building relationships with the coaches i mean it's a coaching staff that i i actually coached myself um when i was in kansas city so i've got a long-standing relationship with the you know the head coach and assistant coach one of the assistant coaches here and you know and so that that whole dynamic is totally different because now i'm coming in you know really really close with the coaches and um having a lot of um synergy in terms of you know what we're doing on the field with what we're doing um in the weight room and you know they're understanding all of the gps technology you know we're you know data we're providing back to them on the you know the loads of training sessions and how we periodize and plan over the week and you know that is a far far cry from you know talking to agents daily in the nba so and which one do you prefer I mean, clearly being on the field is, is, you know, being on the field and with the coaches is, is, is always preferable for me. And I think that in the NBA, people talk to the agents and they, you know, they, they have to create this network with the agents and external providers because they have to, um, cause that's part of the strategic role of, of that position. But, you know, I, I think most of us that go work there would, would not choose to do that. I and mean, when you choose to spend more time with the athlete and helping train and develop them. So. I can imagine that's um, yeah, that's a preferable way of working. And uh, when uh, when you're sat there talking to agents who might be angry or upset, that that could be a little bit of a, a problem sometimes when you might not be getting all the work done which you wanted to do. Yeah. Um, but it's a it's a really interesting insight. And uh, yeah, through all of the the stories from uh, from Austin all the way through to the NBA, that's uh, some super interesting stuff. So Dave, massive thanks for your time and effort today. I really enjoyed it, and uh, I look forward to hopefully speaking to you soon. Thanks, Matthew. It was a pleasure. A pleasure was all mine. Thank you. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks to Dave for all of his hard work on today's podcast. I really appreciate it. And I'm sure you do at home too. Before you leave, I want to point you in the direction of our Coach Academy. My Coach Academy is a series of lectures broken down to bite-sized chunks. So if you've enjoyed today's podcast and you want to learn more about the world of sport performance, get yourself in there completely for free using that link in the show notes in just a few seconds time. And of course, if you have enjoyed today's podcast, it would be absolutely fantastic if you could share it with a coach, a colleague, a friend, or an athlete. That means that we can keep spreading the good word of the podcast, and of course, that we can keep bringing the best possible guests and the best possible content. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks from me, I'm Matt Solomon for Science of Sport, and I'll speak to you next week.